Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Well, so good to be together this morning. We are in our series, Going Deeper. This morning, I want to talk about if we are to really mature and grow and just dig our roots deep down into the good stuff that God has for us, I want to talk this morning about the church. Examine our relationship, our our ideas. If we're really to grow and mature and dig deeper, we need to examine what we, uh, what our ideas and our thinking is about uh, the church, what our relationship is to the church. I've been in many churches uh, over the uh, course of my follow my walk with Jesus, following Jesus. Um, I've moved around, so that has necessitated some church changes. Um, but each church has sown into me different things, different strengths and weaknesses, different things about each particular church that have really built into me. Each church has had, of course, different weaknesses and different problems. Um, I think about the church, our very first church that we served at, um, right out of seminary. Um, we were 31, 32, whatever. We had just graduated, and um, I'd interned there. Um, Stephen hadn't because we had just gotten married, and so we were graduating and looking, you know, where, where's the first church that we're going to choose to serve God at? And um, we went to, to visit there, and uh, it was about this time of the year, and it was brutally hot, and they had no air conditioning. To make matters worse, they had just had their vacation Bible school, and uh, the balloons had gone up into the fans and gotten stuck in the fans. So there was no, nothing was moving in there except the beads of sweat dribbling off your face. It was a good, like, 95 degrees. The, um, the associate pastor did not preach a great sermon, which was fine. We were, you know, going to come to take over from him, but he just like, Pat, let's get this done with as quick as possible. I think the, you know, guitar strings were, were melting. Um, guys, I don't think I can tell you from the pulpit what happened on our interview Sunday, because that was just too embarrassing. Lovely, lovely group of people. Um, but that was, that, was, that was a doozy. But we really felt God calling us to go to uh, this church, uh, really out of a love for the people. We really liked the community of people, really felt like we could love them and invest in them. Um, it was our first church. We were really trained up there. Um, I remember the uh, senior pastor, um, I preached my first sermons there. And the first sermon I, I preached there, you know, he goes to evaluate me afterwards and give me feedback. And he says, Sarah, did you faithfully preach the, the word, you know, faithful to what, accurate to what the scriptures say? I mean, yeah, there's no, no heresy there. Said, so did you did you convey what the Holy Spirit was telling you, you to say? Yeah, I mean, as as good as I, I could. He's like, good, you're done. And that was my evaluation. Were you accurate to the Word of God? Did you say what the Holy Spirit was telling you to say? To be honest, they were all their evaluations he gave me, which went a little bit more into depth. But we were raised up, trained up there, and it was it was really a, a great experience. Was it successful? Well, depends how you define successful. In the ways that counted, yes. In the ways that mattered to the community of faith, to our formation, to the body of Christ, yes. Um, But we will not get very far in our Christian walk if we don't actually examine 
this church thing, our relationship to the church, our ideas about the church. Um, there's nowhere else where we're held to standards of love and encouragement and faith and community kind of for its own sake. If you don't like your neighbors, you usually just don't hang out with them that much. You know, you have to be nice and caring and polite at work, but you do get paid for it. So, you know, it's a little bit different. And I think that's why it's so hard when church disappoints us. Because it's supposed to be so good. And when it isn't, it hurts all the more. Churches all over America have declined since COVID. Um, you know, people get comfortable, you know, doing church on their own schedule, church from the couch, you know, church in the background as they drive somewhere. Um, you know, our numbers have actually held relatively uh, steady. You might not know it from this Sunday, um, but between two services. But COVID has taken a hit on the church across the board in uh, America. You know, I know many people um, before COVID, totally unrelated, um, who have left the church. Not just changed, you know, changing if it's, you know, intentional and meaningful, you know, it is fine. But who have left the church um, for a variety of reasons, some very understandable. Real hurt, real wrongdoing, real disappointment. And I have to say that I can't think of a single person who has actually been good for them. In any ways, and I, I, I think, I think I'm like woman enough to admit it. If it's like, wow, they seem happier and more whatever after leaving the church, I cannot think of a single person who actually has the free time or the better family life because they do Sunday brunch or any of these other things. I can't think of a single person who's better emotionally or or, or spiritually from being outside of community. Um. Personally, very personally, my, uh, my brother uh, left, left the church um, you know, for, for a variety of reasons, um, fundamentally to do with, with beliefs, and um, his life is worse, and I think even he would acknowledge it without a community of caring other individuals who care for him just for the fact of being in community, not work, not neighborhood, the church is good for us, but it can also be difficult. Um, the church is a difficult relationship, but it's one that can bear real fruit. Eugene Peterson says, if we permit, or worse, promote uh, dreamy or deceptive distortions of the church, we interfere with participation in the real thing. The church we want becomes an enemy of the church we have. It is significant that there's not a single instance in the Bible of a congregation that was an archetypal success. There are no successful congregations in Scripture or in the history of the church. It's a little bit of an ouch, but also is encouraging. Jesus doesn't uh, demand success. Um, but I think that line's really good. The church we want can become the enemy of the church we have. The church it's good to acknowledge can be a difficult relationship, but it's one that will, guaranteed, if we stick with it, give us grace, give each other grace, produce personal and communal transformation. So let's look this morning at how Jesus did with his first forming of Christian community. Uh, let's pray as we turn to scripture this morning. Jesus, we thank you 
for the church, for the community of believers. We pray this morning that you would bind us together in love, in encouragement, in faith, Lord God, that we would speak the truth lovingly to each other, that Jesus is Lord, that you care for us and have a plan, that you have saved us and redeemed us, that we would look at each other and say, hey, you are chosen and blessed and called out, that we would believe that of ourselves because we believe in you. Would you help us in our weaknesses and imperfections and in our terrible mistakes? Would you forgive us and cleanse us this morning? In all things, we look to you. In all things, we depend on you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in John chapter 6. Uh, in John chapter 6, Jesus does an amazing thing that everybody loves. He takes five pieces of bread and he turns them into 5,000. That's a pretty good production or profit margin right there. Um, everybody is a big fan of this. He then starts talking about himself being the real thing that nourishes and sustains us and gives us a life. Um, starting at uh, verse 48, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. He's speaking of his death, giving his body, literally giving his blood for the salvation of the world. However, they liked, you know, the actual eat in your hand bread a little bit more than talking about giving my flesh, also meaning uh, communion. Skipping down to verse 60, many of the disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? They're not wrong. You must eat my flesh, drink my blood. Very difficult. Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing, and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe in me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus said, I chose the twelve of you, but one of you is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, Simon, son of Iscariot, one of the 12 who would later betray him. The word of God. You know, Jesus 
only makes sense as Jesus sometimes. If his words just came from it'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, if, God, if Jesus is not Jesus, if he is not God wrapped in humanity, like, well, that was an interesting story. But if he is God wrapped in humanity, come down to be with us, then his words are, are like pure water for my soul, our refreshment. Then who he is, his presence is nourishment for my soul. But Jesus' words really only make sense as Jesus. Uh, Voltaire was a uh, philosopher who thought lots about religion and uh, all this stuff. And he said, if God did not exist, it would be necessary to invent him. You know, if God didn't exist, you know, we need some explanation for what's out there. We need some higher power. And humans have indeed invented gods, Zeus, Hercules, idols that we offer sacrifices to. But I think if Jesus Christ did not exist, we would have had real trouble imagining someone like him. Who would have imagined that billions of people would follow a crucified Jewish carpenter, rabbi. The story of Jesus exists not because it it was invented for our our need for a a higher power, but because it happened on an arid piece of land off the eastern coast of the, the Mediterranean Sea. Brian Zan said that the most astonishing thing I know is that disguised under the disfigurement of an ugly crucifixion and death, Christ on the cross is paradoxically the clearest revelation of who God is. Jesus Christ is not the kind of God that you would necessarily invent, and he's not the kind of rabbi that you can run a smooth publicity campaign for or the kind of teacher who gathers and keeps large crowds. In this story, you really do start to sense the disciples' frustration with him, He gets massive pushback. His disciples are questioning him. So many people leave. And he does not change his message to make it any more user-friendly. He's okay with losing people. He's not okay with losing the message. Um, And things were going so well. Also, he was getting so many people. People were really following him. They were so interested and curious. Like, Jesus, like, you were really on an uphill track. Just, like, moderate a little bit. And then we can zoom it up again. Um, He ruined it. He pruned it back. You know how, like, you'll see sometimes those, like, um, gigantic, like, vegetables at, like, a state fair, like a cucumber or half the size of you? They don't taste that good. They're a little bland because they got too big. He, He prunes the movement back. So it's a little bit more to the people who are really in it. Um, He prunes it back. It's frustrating. And when confronted, Jesus, uh, he doesn't shift focus to, you know, the folks leaving. He doesn't say, like, let's work on something. Let's compromise. Tell me what you're feeling. Like, listen to you. Like, that's what I would do. You know, if you have a problem, let's talk it out because, you know, I'm not, I'm not Jesus. Um, but he, he doubles down. He doubles down on who he is and on what it means to follow him. I guess it's kind of the thing about following the living God. He gets to do what he wants and he follows his own plan, not 
ours. Brian Zand again says that idols don't move. You can always find an idol right where you left it last time. The living God, however, will sometimes escape off to unexpected or controversial places. You know, I think of 12-year-old Jesus running away, running away. Jesus, you're supposed to be like a good boy. One time my little daughter, she's like singing this like impromptu song. She's like, la, la, la. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, you're a good boy. So cute. But like 12-year-old Jesus, there he is not being with his parents. His parents are off missing him for three days. He's like, didn't you know I would be here in church? You should have thought to check here in church for the first time. Like, what are you doing, Jesus? Or Mark, uh, in the beginning of Mark's account, chapter three, uh, Jesus is gathering large crowds and he's casting out uh, uh, demons and he's healing. And uh, he's so busy that he doesn't even have time to eat. And his family's like, this is getting out of hand. They say, he is out of his mind. Go get him. Bring him home. Rain him in. The disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? They were evaluating Jesus. Jesus's words were not evaluating them. They were evaluating Jesus and what was acceptable or not. And if they are offended by talking about, you know, eating his body and and blood, they're definitely going to have a hard time handling the cross, which this is pointing to giving his, his body and his blood. Jesus is known by those who follow him, not those who evaluate him. Jesus is known by those who follow him, not evaluate him. And much of Jesus' teaching does not really make sense without it being Jesus. And I would add that the church does not make that much sense without Jesus being Jesus. We understand his teaching through who he is. We understand his community through who he is. You know, some of my most transformational times have been in the community of faith where people have held me uh, accountable to a little bit higher, where people have called me out to more. Um, when I first moved back to, to the States, I was part of a, uh, a church, so I was like 27, 28. And, um, you know, I struggled to understand quite what was happening. Um, I didn't know what i had never, you know, I didn't know what an iPhone was when I moved back, which I'm sure was my fault or, or whatever. I'd never cashed a check. I just hadn't lived, you know, adult life in this country. Um, and I was called out on a number of things by people in that church. Like, Sarah, this is, and there were times when I wanted a pity party. I really wanted, you know, just nice Christians who would just tell me that like, oh, it's okay. And um, I did not want people to tell me, well, you have a choice. You can either move forwards with this or, you know, you could like, um, and it was helpful to me, but it was also hard for me. But the church has been incredibly transformational, honestly, in who I am as a person, in who I am as a Christian, um, in who I am in really some basic competencies of my life. 
But church has also been a place where I have been deeply disappointed, especially as a young single woman. I remember sitting in front of church in my car being like, you know what, I don't think anyone saw me drive in. I just turned around. No one would know. I could save myself the awkwardness and embarrassment of having to go in there and, um, you know, make everything pretty or good or whatever. In this passage, we see two core points about the church in the end of John chapter 6. The first is the tough teaching of Jesus, and the second is the tough followers of Jesus. He gives this... this um, really amazing teaching about, you know, himself being bread and, you know, being drink and, you know, come to him for, for nourishment. And it's really hard to understand, but it's really like awesome. And then, you know, people, you know, are, are offended by it. People leave. Jesus says, hey, do you also want to leave? No, nowhere else for us to go. Jesus says, okay, because I chose you. But you know who I also chose? Judas. So settle in. Thank you for staying with settling with Nathaniel, uh, uh, John, Judas. Get comfy here hanging out with the devil. Jesus chooses this moment to highlight Judas. Why? You know, in the gospel stories, we see, we see, you know, the Pharisees who are generally opposed to Jesus, but there's Nicodemus who is really like in favor of Jesus. And then we see the disciples who are generally pro-Jesus, and here there is, with Judas in with him. Jesus says, thanks for staying, Peter. You're joined with Judas. Or he actually doesn't say thank you. He doesn't, he doesn't give him much of a pat on the back for staying. There's no real big accommodation, but it's like, I chose you. I also chose Judas. I think it's helpful to stop and ponder and kind of sit in this as a little bit of the reality that you are chosen and loved. And you are chosen and loved. And so is the diversity and messiness and some of the other terrible people sitting next to you in church. Not, not in this church, other churches. You know what I mean. But I think it's helpful to stop here and, and pause and define a couple of things before we uh, move on. Because sometimes we get our terms a little bit um, mixed up. So Christ is the Son of God, uh, the Word of God, God in, in the humanity, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is divine. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the purpose. Jesus is what we are all about. The church is the community of baptized believers in Christ. And Christian is the religion of beliefs and practices about Jesus that has been shaped by the church. Christ is God. Church is the community. Christian is the structure. Christ is truth. Christianity points us to Christ. Christianity has made real mistakes. Christ hasn't. And it's good to not get things too mixed up here because we want to let each one of these be good at what they're good for, do what their job is, you know, be, be themselves, get the, get the good out of each of these. We worship Jesus. We don't worship Christianity. The church worships Christ and helps us worship. Jesus saves. The church 
preaches and points us to Jesus who can save us. Christianity has preserved the story of Jesus throughout thousands of years. Uh, who here has heard the term uh, deconstruction? Anyone? Deconstruction? Deconstruction? Uh, it's a little bit of a, a, a term that's grown and a movement uh, in the last couple of years. Um, in and of itself, it means to kind of break down, tear down, question some things, which in and of itself can be a good thing. The Reformation with, with Luther could be a time of deconstruction, asking questions. Also, it, as a cultural moment, as a, as a trend, um, as how it's prevalent, can also be a, a path to exiting uh, orthodox uh, faith as we know it, really. Um, and it's been prompted, of course, a lot by major failings in the church, um, disappointment, lo- lots of things have, have prompted that. Um, but deconstruction, as well as COVID, has taken a toll on the church. People get just used to uh, different things around COVID. And it's good to be clear on what's happening in uh, some of the church trends. Um, So with deconstruction, with questioning the church, do we need church? Do we, you know, do we have, does everything have to stay the same as it always was before? Christianity is an organization. And it's gotten a bad rap for some very good reasons. Um, from historical things like complicity with slavery to sex abuse scandals, the church has fallen very, very far from what Jesus intended the church to be. Christianity has done some terrible things that we need to be open and honest about. But Christianity is the organization. And um, organization is generally considered like a positive. Like if I tell you this, this soccer league is not organized or the chamber of commerce is not organized, you won't usually say, oh, I'm so glad it's not organized. Um, you know, if you think of, if you think organized religion is a, a bad thing, um, I would argue that you probably don't want to try the disorganized kind because it's uh, even worse. But I think part of the problem is that we, we try and get Christianity to save us. Or, or we worship the church instead of worshiping Christ, letting the church be the community of believers with all of its problems who encourages us and, you know, ties us to larger reference points and Christianity be a helpful organization, so structural uh, framework. You know, the church is the Christian continuation, uh, what we would term the fulfillment of Jewish Israel. Israel was God working in a community of faithful people brought together, working in to show the world who Yahweh is. Uh, the church is a community of people, God working in this community to show the world who Jesus is. You know, I'm not super uh, familiar with what's happening in the Jewish community, really, but I don't think that there are many uh, Jewish folks who will say, you know, I'm all about Yahweh, I'm all about the Torah, but this Israel thing, you know, not so much. Because they they read the Bible and they know that of the Hebrew scriptures, uh, a very large part of it is dedicated to forming and shaping the, the community of Israel. As Christians, when we look at the New Testament, we also have to see that a large part of the New Testament is devoted to shaping and forming uh, uh, the church. We are God's plan. We are God's plan for continuing the message, pointing people to Jesus, 
bringing the kingdom of God, seeing justice and righteousness in our communities, bringing love and healing. You know, we cannot do faith by ourselves. We just can't. Uh, Brian Zant, he wrote a book called um, When Everything's on Fire, um, and he's been helpful to me in thinking through some of this. But he says, to say I'm spiritual but not religious is appealing to many. But this like disdain for received religious tradition is similar to every individual being left to discover the wheel or to harness fire on their own. Without shared religion, we cannot build on the spiritual progress achieved by those who have gone ahead of us. Without the wisdom of healthy religion, we consign ourselves to theological ignorance, spiritual poverty. Tradition must be reevaluated, but we cannot simply reject tradition because we didn't come up with it on our, by ourselves. Um, he's talking about the truth that um, if we had no desire to see things progress, we would still be cavemen. However, if we did not listen to those who have gone before us, we would also still be cavemen. We have to build on the knowledge of others and we have to want to move forwards. But ultimately, friends, the church is not something that we do. The church is something that God does and we get to participate in it. I think of uh, Acts 10, where um, uh, Peter, I think Peter has just preached this sermon, and um, he's talking about Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit comes. And then we've got these Jewish folks and these non-Jewish folks, and these non-Jewish folks, these pagans, start experiencing the Holy Spirit and experiencing God and speaking in uh, heavenly uh, languages, and they're like, I didn't even know that could happen. That was not a goal. We didn't think it was possible. Like, well, let's just baptize them. And they started doing stuff that they just didn't even think was, you know, on the table because God did it. The church didn't decide to do it. God did it. I think of examples in our own life, um, the, the life of our church, you know, at the beginning of COVID, we loaded up a little truck with like some food and groceries. Like, well, let's just take this around Milford and see if people want stuff. Um, and then it slowly it was a huge success. And then people stepped up and said, hey, I'll serve. Hey, I'll donate. We started going to specific houses that we knew really needed. It didn't have the transportation, didn't have the, have the means. And now we're serving 48 families every other week with like big boxes of groceries. We did not set out to do this. God did it. God moved people. God opened doors. God made connections in Milford Public Schools. God did it, not us. We followed. And you know, it's been, it's been a lot of work, but it's so much easier where you follow where, where God is leading. You know, God works in the church the same way he worked in Jesus. God's work is kind of consistent in that way, in Jesus, God worked a miracle in a vulnerable child, wrong mother, wrong place. In the church, God has worked a miracle in a vulnerable community of misfits, wrong education, wrong background. And the Holy Spirit fell on Jesus in his baptism. And we have seen the glory of God 
God's one and only Son revealed to us. And the Holy Spirit fell on the church in the day of Pentecost. And we have seen God's glory as we ourselves are incorporated living stones into the community of Christ. I love, uh, I love Jesus' teaching here in John chapter 6. You know, before all the controversy part. I love how Jesus encourages us to come to him, to be nourished and fed by who he is. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not my own will. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but I will raise them up on the last day. I love Jesus' generosity. Jesus' generosity of himself. He doesn't give extras. He gives himself. And friends, we wouldn't have those words of Jesus without the hard sayings of Jesus and the hard followers of Jesus. We wouldn't have that encouragement to turn to him, to receive from him without the difficult teachings and the difficult community of Christ. Uh, Worship team, if you guys want to come on up. You know, there are many causes I believe in, many movements I'm passionate about. You know, justice causes that are important. Caring for for the poor and the vulnerable, things I give money to, uh, environmental concerns that are crucial. Many things I believe in, I, I care about, but there is no salvation in them. There is, however, salvation in the church. Uh, Ezekiel 47 talks about the temple of God. And then there are rivers that come out of the temple of God. And uh, he envisions in this like picture, this God, you know, dream that the side of the river, there's these trees that give fruit in season and out of season. And even the leaves you pick are for the healing of the nations, not just someone, not just folks who work extra hard or deserve it more, not just Jewish people, not just this person, but everyone. Even the leaves, even the pieces that are cast off are for the healing of the nations. And that's what Jesus wants. That's why Jesus stuck to his teaching and said, no, I'm the bread of life. Come to me, take in like, really like in ways that are hard to understand. Come to me. And that's why he's established a group of followers. Said, you guys, you're going to get together and encourage each other. Judas and Peter together, encourage each other. And that's how we get this morning to come together as the community of faith, to encourage each other and to come and worship Jesus. So let's stand together. Let's pray as we enter a time of worship. Jesus, we are grateful for who you are. We are grateful, Jesus, that even in your hard teachings, you don't compromise. Uh, We as the church are willing to, to dialogue, but you don't compromise because you hold out for your very best, your ultimate best for us. You, you, you stuck to it. You said, no, I want to give you of myself. I want to give you the best. So we come this morning and we let our hearts receive you. As we value the church, 
as we, you know, are, are realistic about Christianity and the organization, we let ourselves this morning be pointed to you, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are the purpose. You are the point. You are the goal. We let our hearts think about you and kind of think of you, who you are, what you have done for us. We let our attention come to you and worship you this morning. In Jesus' name.